You are slipping into a distorted dimension. Reality and fantasy are changing places past the event horizon. Bullies are victims, men are women, and abuse is love. You weren't here just yesterday. Reality is still out there. But to find your way back, you have to notice it. And now, the Disaffected Podcast with Joshua Slocum. Well, you know, people have, people react very, people react quite emotionally and very differently to the question of whether we want to label a certain person evil or not. Um, leaving that aside, um, I'll, you know, my view is that, you know, whether or not you wish to call an individual person evil, what they're doing is an evil action. I, for me, I do not care what it is motivated by. Um, I don't care how authentic it is. It is evil to set a child on this path. It is evil to collude with a child in distress, um, to make decisions that the child cannot possibly comprehend the implications of at that age. It's fucking evil. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, I have a friend of mine who's a Christian and I'm very careful. I'm an atheist, so I, I try to be careful about using particular language, but to try to drive how serious my impression of what's going on is, I said that this is as close to satanic as I'm willing to, <laughs> to, to use that word. This is, this is probably the best case uh, use for that word. I, <laughs> I, I agree with that. And, and, and it reminds me of, um, as you know, um, I talk on my show uh, a lot about cluster B personality disorders and the mm -hmm. abuse um, that comes from them and, and that happens to people that creates these disorders. And among many of my religious friends, um, I see it as a metaphor. They see it more or less literally, but they talk about demonic possession. And as a metaphor, it works for me. Um, I can understand why a person would see a person displaying the kinds of behaviors you see in a severe case of borderline personality disorder, uh, secondary psychopathy, extreme narcissism, you can understand why a person would say they're possessed, something is, has got a hold of them. I don't believe it's literal, but I think it's like you believe that satanic is probably, you know, a, a very close metaphor. I also believe that um, in that context. I would like to know your thoughts on the difference between Transsexuals like you, let, let me introduce um, Ray Blanchard's typology uh, to people. Um, and, and if you have something that you wanna add to qualify that or, or, or anything, let me know. Uh, Ray Blanchard is a sex researcher and clinician. Um, and he breaks down, I don't know if he'd say transsexuals or transgender, but he differentiates two main categories among males. One would be the homosexual transsexual, and this would be the, um, the, the very effeminate man, the homosexual man, um, who believes that in order to live a satisfying life, he's going to have to go, go uh, take the step of surgery. And the other type, the, those with uh, autogynephilia. Um, and these are 
heterosexual men. Um, and they're, they're, we all know who these people are. They're what we, we called transvestites um, or cross-dressers a lot of the time. Um, and this Kate, is- a, Caitlyn Jenner. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's a fetish. It's a sexual fetish. Autogynephilia means, um, you know, taking enjoyment, erotic love in conceiving of yourself as having a female body and being a woman. Um, the motivations are very different for transition between those two groups of people. Um, do you do you not agree? Do you think? I'm still trying to understand it, Josh. I really, okay. I recently I've been on a Discord server where there have been a number of people who have uh, acknowledged that they have autogynephilia, and they're talking about their experiences, and I'm, I'm listening to try to compare them. Just like just like you were talking about them when you were a kid, you were praying that you, God would make you a girl. Like, yeah. like wow, that's that's really interesting. So I'm, I'm having conversations with this group and trying to find things that are in common as well. And there are, I have, I have opinions on it, but I think that there are cases where the evidence that somebody has, uh, is, is, has a love of themselves as a woman. I think mm -hmm. that there are some cases where that's very evident. And for some of the people who have that experience, it's really clear to them that that's what's happening. Okay. But to me, there's still a lot of gray area. Do you have any, I mean, and I know you're working out your thoughts and none, none of this is a final paper you're submitting, um, but talk out loud a little bit about it. What, what directions are you going in? Do you think that perhaps there, what, what might be some of the areas of commonality between what Blanchard would call the homosexual transsexuals and the autogynophiles? That's a great question because I'm still trying to figure out which category I belong in. Really? Because if, if you okay. look at, well, I am uh, in the computer field, mm -hmm. very traditionally masculine field, and I'm, um, you know, you you see that I'm wearing this beautiful ball gown tonight. No, I'm kidding. It's it's <laughs> just a athletic wear. I I don't really um, girl out very very well or very often, okay. and it's it's really not my thing. But uh, when you talk about the classic homosexual transsexual, you know, you see, see somebody who's uh, like Blair White, somebody who's very, yes. very feminine, very girly, yeah. but um, I'm not that way. Well, I mean, in, in your presentation, no, obviously I see the difference, but I mean, quite honestly, I would have automatically put you in the homosexual transsexual category. That's, that's how you reach them. I don't know you well. But you know, if you're interested in in first impressions, that's 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 certainly what I thought. I don't I don't encounter you and think, oh, this is an autogynophile, because and and it might have something to do with my assumptions about what that means. But I see a huge correlation between. No, I'm I'm hedging a little bit. Let me be a little more direct. Um, I cannot see how autogynephilia, if it exists the way Blanchard describes it, I cannot conceive of how it could exist that it is not a symptom of a pathological level of narcissism. Hmm. I'm not saying it's only that, um, but I think there's a strong component, and I don't, I don't detect that, I don't detect that character in you. 
We had J. Michael Bailey on the Heterodorks podcast recently, mm -hmm. and this very topic. He's came another up. sex researcher uh, for listeners. He is. He's well known for his studies into autogynephilia. And Nina asked him about correlation between narcissism and autogynephilia. And uh, I'm paraphrasing Dr. Bailey here, but yep. I believe he said that there's not a correlation. I believe I've heard that too. I would need to read. I would need to read him in more detail and I'd need to hear that conversation in order to really understand what he's saying. Um, but from my point of view, subject to change, I might be wrong. And if I'm wrong, I will admit publicly that I'm wrong. I suspect how to say this succinctly. I'm sorry, but I don't see it doesn't make philosophical sense or even definitional sense to me to propose a category of men that we would call autogynephiles that display the typical behaviors that we see in autogynephiles. And we see them all the time on social media now. They're everywhere. Mm. I, it does not make sense to me to say there is this thing that stands completely independently of a cluster B personality disorder or a cluster B personality style. I watch these men and I, I'm sorry, I know what I'm, I know what I'm talking about because I have experience in this. I don't care that I'm not a degreed researcher. I see borderline, I see narcissism, I see histrionics, I see cluster B. And I have a very difficult time. Um, I have a very difficult time understanding and really taking seriously researchers who say, oh no, no, it's not that at all. And I, I wonder if there, if we're if we're defining things. From from very different points of view, um, and, and could this it be selection bias. How so? Could it be that the could it be that the individuals who you are deriving your impression from mm -hmm. that they are more notorious because they have those traits that you're talking about? Yes, and yes. the people who are more quiet and who would not exhibit the sort of narcissistic traits that you're listing. Yes. may might exist, but you're just not paying attention to them. Yes, that is possible. And I'm actually, I'm glad you brought that up. That's, that's the most likely uh, explanation. If Bailey is, if Bailey is correct. And if I'm the one who's, who's got a selection bias, that's probably what's going on. Um, and it, it is true that the people we notice <laughs> are going to be the ones that set our standard in our head. And it is also true that because this is an interest of mine, my brain unconsciously without my, my own thought will notice these things more. That's true. Um, how many quiet autogonophiles are there though, would be, is, is a question I'd like to know. It That's a great question. I can tell you that I've been in trans circles for 30 years mm -hmm. and I've had a number of, a small number of really good friends who I would say are most likely autogynophiles. They were married to women before they transitioned. Um, one of them who I'm thinking of was uh, an extremely devoted spouse. His wife had early onset Alzheimer's mm -hmm. and he was absolutely, or I should say she was absolutely attentive to every detail of her wife's illness and com completely centered her spouse's wife, her spouse's life. Mm -hmm. These pronouns start to get confusing after a while. Yes. <laughs> um, 
And I would say that if I were sick and needed help, this is exactly the sort of person who I would be be blessed to have interested in my life to make sure that I was okay. And I, I can't see how a narcissist would be able to to do that without making uh, the the spouse's illness all about the narcissist. But that's I, not I, I think that's not correct. what happened at all. The person you're describing to me does not read as a narcissist to me. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I guess you know, for me, it's it, it it's similar to um, some of the encounters that I have on social media with mental health professionals, um, who the ones who push back on my point of view vociferously are usually those who specialize in or believe they specialize in borderline personality disorder. Mm -hmm. And the objection that they have to me is they say, they're not all like that. They're not all abusive. Um, some of them are quiet, you'd never know. But many of them say, that's only a few. You're just talking about the bad ones. They actually seem to, these clinicians seem to be suggesting that, for example, that, that it's this weird disconnect because if, if a person is actually fully cluster B personality disorder, now I have some traits of borderline and histrionic personality disorder. At one point in my life earlier, I may have qualified for a diagnosis. This is not surprising considering the household that I came from. Uh, so people, th there is a gradation and everybody isn't exactly the same, but if you can be said to be fully personality disordered, it doesn't make sense to me to for a clinician to suggest you'd never know it, or they're quiet and they never abuse people. That, that simply does not line up with the definitions uh, that we work with. So I wonder if some of that is going on too, because I'm not gonna get an answer to it, but that's what occurs to me. That's a fair point. I wasn't in that household all the time, just once in a while. Right. Um, this is a good time to take another quick break and we'll come back and pick it up on the other side. Kevin and Josh work themselves to the bone to bring you dark and disturbing content every week. There are starving listeners overseas who get no podcasts at all. Show appropriate gratitude today by making a donation at patreon.com forward slash disaffected or at subscribestar.com forward slash disaffected. Do it for mother. And we're back. I was very impressed Corinna, with your testimony, I believe it was in front of a committee or the legislature in Illinois. Is that right? Indiana, yes. Indiana, I'm sorry. I, that is a constant mistake that I make. I know that they're different, but in my brain, they come out that way. Um, you were testifying, if I remember correctly, um, in support of a bill that would have restricted um, participation in sports to biological sex. Do I remember that correctly? Yes, correct. Okay. Um, and you 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 testified for about three and a half minutes, and I played the whole clip on my show. And, and I said to people, you know, Corinna is one of the only people I have ever seen who is a trans person uh, who is willing to stand up and say these things um, that 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 reflect the views, the majority of views that that people like me and people that share my opinion uh, have. And I'm sure that this has come at some personal cost to you, um, not just your testimony there, but but the fact that you are heterodox 
in your views about this. You're a transsexual who says, you know what, it's not all sunshine and lollipops, like people say. Has, has your willingness to be to go against the grain, has that cost you? That's an interesting question. Uh, I had one harassing phone call so far, and that's all. So I consider myself lucky. I've been really on the edge of the trans community now for going on 10 years. And it's very difficult for me to get an audience with anybody who is, I, I have I have a former school uh, friend who works for the HRC and I've tried to contact- the Human Rights Campaign. Human Rights Campaign, which is now uh, very focused on trans rights at, at the mm -hmm. state's level. Uh, I can't get a, an audience with her. I have reached out to a number of people who are influential in uh, trans or uh, LGBT activism, and I, I can't get an audience with anybody. So the when I'm speaking out now, it's not making my chances worse because I have tried with a lot of openness with a, a lot of good intent to say, let's just have a conversation. I want to tell you what's on my mind and try to try to get these issues out. Because I think that if we just have a conversation with each other, we don't have to agree with one another, but if we just listen to one another, maybe, maybe that'll uh, melt the ice a little bit. And I just can't get anything like that. It's, it's a stone wall. Yeah, I, I think that it, I think that most people who uh, who would be want to testify in the way that you did find that same experience. I think Chris Elston, the guy from uh, Canada who wears the billboard children can't consent to puberty blockers. He, he has the same problem getting a, a political audience with anybody on the left side of the political spectrum. Um, it's interesting you say you've been on the fringes of the trans community for more than 10 years. Um, was was there a point at which you felt like you were being socially ejected from the community? <laughs> I was socially ejected. Okay, I, 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 yeah, socially I don't ejected. know your history. Tell, please, please tell me what that was like. There was, uh, 10 years ago on Twitter, there was not really a uh, very good harassment control. So if somebody was bothering you, um, you might be able to block them, but if there was like a network of people, it was hard to swat them all down. And so some hackers put together something called the BlockBot. And initially the BlockBot was, the purpose of it was supposed to be for clearing out trolls or making it so that trolls couldn't get into your timeline. But it very, very quickly changed to being targeted against feminists. Yes. And although several of the developers of it were trans, and they had an ethos that said that they were not going to use it to silence trans people. Um, I was, I was the test case. They put me on it as the most serious offender. Um, <laughs> and and the reason for that is because I would try to engage people who had a good n number of followers, saying, "Hey, we should talk about how we can uh, understand ourselves as trans people, as our natal sex, instead of uh, trying to." identify ourselves as the opposite sex, because I, th I think we need to figure out how to manage our, the shame that we feel and manage the uh, responsibilities and privileges that we have for being able to transition in such a way that we're not uh, continually infringing on, on women's rights. So I try to strike up these conversations with people and, and that got me uh, blocked. <laughs> so yeah. 
a lot of trans people on Twitter subscribe to the block bot and that basically cut me off from a lot of people who I would potentially have available for conversation. And the, the people who were the ones who were promoting the block bot actually had uh, pretty high social positions in uh, political parties or uh, were influencers in other fields. And uh, there was another scenario of uh, something that was called the LGBTQ Slack channel, which was mm -hmm. uh, run by a, a very prominent uh, member of the development community. And I had joined that. I was invited to join it. I was participating in it. And one day I saw that they were coordinating a harassment campaign against uh, a feminist who I knew and, and was friends with. And I contacted the moderators of that forum and I said, hey, look, uh, this clearly goes against the community guidelines that we set up. We're, we're not supposed to be using the server for coordinating uh, harassment. By the way, one of the, one of the uh, people who was part of the coordination was a Facebook employee and was giving instructions on how to evade Facebook's uh, moderation channels. Unsurprising. Unsurprising. And I said, I, I don't think that this is really good conduct. Uh, would you please intervene and tell people not to use this forum to coordinate harassment campaigns? Which I think is a reasonable ask, right? I'm not I'm not being crazy or anything. Sure. And, and and anyway, you, you weren't there to see it, so <laughs> you have to rely on my narration. I I believe and, it. And the moderator came and and took a look at it and said, "Well, uh, you are correct that we're not supposed to be using this forum for uh, coordinating abuse, but because this particular target really deserves it, I'm gonna I'm not gonna get involved." Disgusting. Disgusting and unsurprising. And um, so I left that community because I, I couldn't, I, I wouldn't be able to think of myself as being a person with any principles if I were to just ignore that because um, although a, a lot of developers from major companies, from major software companies were, were in that channel, mm -hmm. um, I just, and, and that, that would have been helpful for my career. I just could not, it, it wasn't worth networking with people who were willing to not have any sort of uh, ethical standard. Yeah, and you know, aside from that, I would imagine there's also the worry. I mean, once you know that these people are willing to do that to someone else, you know that they're willing to do it to you. No, now that no. you mentioned that, that's true. <laughs> but well, I, I mean, that's never that's... occurred to me. <laughs> I, it, that kind of stuff occurs to me all that when I see that I see people that say, okay, you now need to keep your guard up. You need to put up boundaries and you need to look over your shoulder. Um, because, because these people, I, I don't know if you had the, I don't know if you had the experience of, I, I used to be very left liberal. Mm -hmm. I would describe myself today as closer to the, uh, the UK sense of a classical liberal, which translates only roughly to the US sense of libertarian. Um, I, I think it's also fair to say that today, I it would be fair to call me a cultural conservative in a lot of ways. Uh, but I was part of the woke crowd. I was part of the new atheist community. I was a Dawkins worship fanboy. I went to the conferences. I yelled and screamed on all of the forums. Um, I was into Did atheism. Did you pick up women in elevators? Um, 
uh, yeah, but only to do make me pretty Barbie stuff because of course I'm not sexually mm -hmm. attracted to women. I only want to play with their hair. Yes. Um, but yes, that, that was the crowd that I hung with. Um, and when my mind started to change and, and my philosophical positions changed and I started to talk about it, I mean, I lost almost all of my friends. And yes, most of them were online people, but many of them were people I'd met many times in real life who had stayed in my home and I had stayed in their home when traveling. Um, it, it, was, it was a very socially difficult time. I was ejected for being a traitor and pe people are often much angrier at traitors than they are at someone who has always been the enemy, right? Because yes. you used to know the good stuff, but now you became one of the bad people. You were ours, and now you're saying you're not ours anymore. Did that happen to you? Were you a traitor? I'm sort of a loner anyway, Josh. So I don't think I got that as bad, but what you're describing is is completely familiar to me. And the I don't think that, it's, I, it's easier for me to represent my experience with the trans community more than the, the LGB part of it, because there's, until, recent times there there'd usually been some separation between them there was a time where your politics and your trans identification that those two things were on separate axes and that it wouldn't be weird at all to meet a tranny who was a, like a an arms dealer right that wouldn't that wouldn't be the most bizarre thing that, that you would run into right. that day <laughs> right <laughs> but now but if you're a trainee now you're supposed to hate all guns ever right yeah it's this thing now where your identification and that's what it is it's 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 an identity your identity isn't just the discomfort that you have in your sex body your identity now needs to encompass your entire political view and it wasn't always like that no it wasn't always like that and it's not just in the trans community or the lgb community where that's happened that's that has happened it seems to me across the board culturally in our society on the left um on the left I, yeah i don't know what your experience has been but the conservatives who i always that, that i had i had paranoia about i believed all of the hype they all wanted me dead. They all hated me to my core because I was gay. They hated people who were starving and they wanted to see them homeless and starving. I believed a lot of fucking bullshit. And when I was forced out of the left, it was actually one of the best things that ever happened to me because I started talking to these people and they were nothing like I had been told and they were nothing like the fantasy of them that I was repeating to other people. There, there are, I mean, you remember this, we're of, we're of the same age. You remember when Jerry Falwell's moral majority really did have some cultural power. <laughs> I do. So when you're talking about how bad the right is, I was like, there, there was a time where the right actually had that faction in it. I, I yes. just don't, I think they've all died out. I think so too. Um, and I realized that I was, I was working on an, a hangover, right? Um, I, I was still acting like it was 1985. But it's not. It hasn't been 1985 mm -hmm. for a very long time, um, and actually, life life for gay people got so much better from the time that I came out in the mid to late 80s as a teenager to now. It's nothing like it used to be, and it drives me absolutely batshit crazy that there are young people, gays, lesbians, uh, people who identify as queer or trans, who don't know this, and they they many of them really do appear to believe that they are as hard done by in society as we were in the 80s and as 
my forerunners were in the 50s and 60s. It's not true. Yeah, it's there's not even a relationship between the two things that's so different. Do you, rem- do you remember when Ellen came out? Oh, yeah. And that it was now. It was like, because... finally, everybody knew. <laughs> well, yeah, in, in certain in certain communities, but it was actually a thing in the media of is this right to have a, a gay character on television? That's right. Like there's, there are, there's sort of a narrative right now that's comparable in some ways. Like should trans people be seen in public? I, this is something that's starting to come up as a gender critical narrative. I don't really? know if you've heard this or not. Oh yeah. No, I no. Enlighten me, please. This sounds yeah. a little disturbing. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give the steel man version of this. Okay. okay. So I I want to try to give the best version of this argument. Okay. Even though there's some people who are giving the, the dumbest version of the argument also. Best version of the argument is that uh, particularly you should not have trans people working with children because trans people have used pronouns that are different from their sex. And when you have trans people working around children, children are indoctrinated to believe that it's possible to change sex. And if they believe that, they will have a distorted view of the world, and they may even develop a cross-sex identity um, in, in emulation of the trans person that they're interacting with. So that is that is the steel version of that argument. But they said that about uh, Ellen, too. Yeah, and they said it about gay people, and, and, and because I'm always candid, I'll be candid about this, too. I have very conflicted thoughts about this. Um, it's it, and it actually it makes me very emotionally uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, but that's okay. We have to we have to uh, we have to accept this discomfort and and talk anyway. Is there an element of truth to that? Because it as as unpalatable as that sounds, and I realize how unpalatable it sounds because it feels unpalatable to me right now as I'm saying it. But we are seeing, of course, that. Scads of public schools across the country have teachers in them who are everything from the way they dress themselves to the way they color their hair Mm -hmm. to the way they talk to their students are very clearly grooming and indoctrinating these kids, um, I believe, for their own emotional gratification and validation, even even those who believe that they're doing something to help the kids, I think they're addressing wounds in themselves um, uh, by doing that. And we are seeing, in fact, yes, kids are responding to this and developing these these cross-sex identities. I think that happens. What do we do with this very uncomfortable mix? Well, I'm glad you asked because it makes it easier to understand when you add in a little bit more context. So if the only place where children could ever have any awareness of this trans stuff was in schools from trans teachers, and that was the the only vector that mattered, then in that case, you might say, well, um, then we're gonna make a special rule and say that if you're trans, you can only work with children above a certain age, and that age is after primary identity formation has has completed. But that's there's more context to understand. Part of that context is that by and large, the individuals who are indoctrinating these children into the belief of gender identity are not trans people. They're, for the most part, um, 
I, I'm, I'm going out on a limb here because I don't have okay, data. Sure, this is sure. this is observation. From observation, what I see is that most of the people doing this are, are young women. Yes. Yes. Not 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 with trans identification, but because they are are these very uh, correct minded, uh, very liberal minded. Um, we have to treat everybody equally, and the way that we do that is by rewriting uh, reality. Yes. They're, they're not trans. What is a trans person? How do you define trans? Well, I I don't anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not fair for me to say that I'm I'm not going to define it, but. Um, I'll tell you, back when I was a kid, uh, trans was that you would um, step onto the road of uh, medical transition, that, you're, that you were declaring an intent to change your secondary sex characteristics and, and uh, possibly even your primary sex characteristics to uh, cause them to, to be similar to that of, of your target sex, and that you would take whatever steps were necessary in order to integrate socially as that target sex. That's what trans used to mean. Yes, it did. Mm -hmm. What it means today is, is pretty much anything. Are you trans? You haven't told me. Right. Well, I mean, if we can't define it, I guess the only thing I can tell you is I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so, but, um, you know, and it's the part, one of the sticky parts of this, is <sighs> what those of us who were fighting against actual homophobia and abuse in the 20th century, one of our goals was, was to change cultural attitudes about the acceptability of gender non-conforming behavior. We wanted to make it okay and not pathological for boys to like, quote, girl things and girls to like, quote, boy things. And I think there's a lot of value in that. Um, I don't want people to, uh, I don't want to lose that, but, but what vexes me, and I don't have an answer to this, is today it seems to be a package deal. So what worries me is, or I could say, hey, I remember Free to Be You and Me with Marlo Thomas that book in the 70s that became a um, uh, something that was shown on Sesame Street and public television, you know, boys and girls can do anything they want. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not weird. I, I like that idea. I like that philosophy. But today, I worry that can you can we have that philosophy without also setting these kids on it? I'd like a world where a boy can wear a party dress if he wants without somebody saying, okay, off to the gender clinic. But I'm afraid to agitate too much for gender nonconformity now, even though I've been a gender nonconforming person, because I fear that, that, that it is a package deal. Does this make sense to you? It makes perfect sense. And that's partly because we're in a space. Tell me, if, tell me if, what you think about my, my thought on this, but I think the middle has eroded that People have retreated to the left or the right, and the number of people who are willing to stand up and say there really ought to be a middle ground and there really ought to be a pluralistic solution, that <laughs> that's how I characterize myself, yeah. uh, we're not around. There's not enough of us trying to draw people from different points of view 
to to a center ground and try to find some accommodation for everybody. It's uh, my way or the highway. Yes. And I would say the trans activists started that. But the backlash that's happening is completely predictable and yes. I'm afraid to say likely unstoppable. I, I'm afraid that that's the case too. Um, and I, I don't know how to be a responsible adult in that context at this point. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what the hell I'd do if I had a child, honestly. I, you know, be, because as a boy, I dressed up in my grandma's clothes and her costume jewelry. It had to be a secret. My mother found out there was hell to pay. Uh -huh. But, you know, I wanted, I would like a world that it is safe for boys to do that or girls to do their version of it. But I don't know what I would tell my child today if, if that were my child, because I'd be so worried that any assent or affirmation or comfort that I gave would send a signal that would send them into a much more extreme place. I really dislike that I don't have an answer to this. I to me there's a, another thorny side of that as well which is if you had if you had a child let's say you had a, a a young boy and he developed a friendship at school with a girl whose parents were raising that child as a boy yeah that's that's a that's a conundrum it is because and you I, know for yeah. one thing those parents are uh are, are not people who you want looking after your pets when you're out of town Correct. Correct. Um, good God, it's hard today. I thought I thought it was hard when I was young, but it's much harder now. Um, in many ways, I um, much harder for kids. As 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 bad as I thought, we sissies and gay people and nonconformists had it in the eighties. We actually had it a shitload better than kids have it today. <laughs> Even, I mean, in my personal opinion, even the bullying that I suffered was far and away uh, less damaging in the long term than, than I think what kids are facing today. Um, we've been going for a while here um, and it's probably time to bring it to a close. And I, I, boy, do I appreciate having this conversation. And I know that people listening are gonna appreciate it because you are unusual. You, you are a voice of reason from a community that is not known today for being a voice of reason. Um, and, and you're candid and you tell the truth. And I'm, I'm really glad to have this conversation. Um, this is your chance now. Plug heterodorks and anything. Um, I mean, those of you listening, the conversations between Nina and Corinna are freaking fantastic. I mean, they're a small podcast, but they should grow and you should listen to them. Nina, where are, Nina, Corinna, where do where do you want people to find you and look for you? We have a website that is called heterodorks.com, H-E-T-E-R-O-D-O-R-X.com. That is a play on the word heterodox, not, not on the play heterosexual, <laughs> uh, although Nina is one, um, <laughs> allegedly. And you can also find us on Apple Podcasts for my own if you uh, want to check out my editorial on the Washington Post, I yes. think if you search for that, you you should find it by my name. And I also have a piece on Quillette, which gives some of my backstory. 
Oh, good, good. Okay. I haven't read the Quillet piece uh, yet, uh, but I will. Corinna, thank you very much for giving us your time. I really appreciate it. I know we're going to speak again. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Josh. Have fun. You too. Well, hello, listener. It's Mommy again. You're quite welcome for the fine programming. Why don't you show some gratitude? Send Mommy some money on Patreon. Patreon.com slash disaffected. Or subscribestar.com slash disaffected. You wouldn't want Mommy to starve, would you? And if you don't love your dear mother, you're not invited to find us on YouTube, Rumble, or Odyssey for our hottest weekly content. I guess this is goodbye forever.